Kelman on cliffcentral.com. Yusuf Omar is a filmmaker and broadcaster. He's also the uh, mobile journalism lead at ENCA and just an overall rock star. When I look at the stuff that you've put out in 2015 and when I look at what your plans are for 2016, Yusuf, it, uh, it reads like uh, a guy that's wildly passionate about what he does and then also just getting really, really good at what that thing is and especially you're navigating like a whole new space. Uh, what do you think about just before you go to sleep at night? <laughs> I think about how we're going to make all of these cool things start making money. Um, <laughs> it's the fundamental challenge of newsrooms around the world. We're seeing huge migrations of our audiences from conventional mediums uh, such as television to mobile. At ENCA, for example, 60% of our audience uh, on the website are now yeah. mobile devices. But yet nobody's really cracked how to make mobile make money. We haven't managed to monetize it. And that's going to be the trick. Advertising revenue is not the same online and on mobiles as it is on television. Um, so we need to try and work that out. And that's what keeps me awake at night. You seem to be the guy though, that's educating everybody in South Africa and Africa and possibly even the world around mobile journalism. Obviously, there's a lot of people doing it. But in the South African context, it's not really something that's well known. But the African context we know is a context in which uh, mobile is possibly the thing that's going to enable us to change our economy and really be a competing global power. So, so for you, are you frustrated that we're not getting this message out at a fast enough rate? So on the continent, I think South Africa has fallen a long way behind. If you look yeah. at Kenya, for example, I was there about 10 years ago, and you could pay for a minibus taxi using your cell phone. Uh, so cell phone banking and stuff is only really starting to come into its element here in South Africa very recently. So to one respect, yes, you're right. But to the other respect, the cell phones are totally smartphones. We've got 136% cell phone penetration here in South Africa. Hmm. More people have cell phones than televisions or fridges for that matter. Um, so there's a definite realization that that's where the market is at. And we're seeing that feedback of content coming through. I mean, yourself, I've seen your mobile journalism content. We're inspired by you. It was the interview we did last year. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've been doing it. You've been doing it well. And the trick for us now is, is we, we, we can't compete with you on that. You can do a pretty much as good a job as we can because you've got a similar cell phone and you've also got a selfie stick and a mic. Mm. So what we need to look now is this crowdsourcing to try and basically we don't need to go out of the office nearly as much as before. We can look at the, uh, hashtag. Zuma must fall protests or fees must fall. And we need to come up with algorithms to say there's X many videos coming out of Cape Town right now about this protest. By virtue of that, it must be true. There must be a protest mm -hmm. happening. How can we very quickly turn those, package them, fact check them? Because that's a big thing in social media, how to make sure that that information is accurate and then put that out. And that becomes a very cheap source of content. You don't have cameramen out in the field. You don't have reporters. You quite literally have a bunch of savvy social media producers mm. who can look what's already happening in the online space and turn that. Because to be honest, since 9-11, have the media ever broken a story? They haven't. Right. It's always been civilians. Let's talk for a second about this word millennial and mobile journalism and how those two words marry each other if they do and what the relationship is between those two words. Sure. So we have spent a lot of time studying how millennials like to digest media because, of course, mobile journalism is not just the creation of content with a mobile phone. It's also the creation of content for mobile devices. Mm. And we're basically trying to work out how to become more effective on small screens. And we find that millennials like short content. Generally, the average story, uh, whether you look at the uh, Time magazine, whether you look at uh, any of the major titles, Al Jazeera online, the ones that succeed are a minute long. 
that's the sort of uh, yeah. attention span that we're looking at. It's almost like the fast food of media. Uh, they really want information to be concise. And explainer journalism is becoming massive for the millennial market. Uh, they don't necessarily need two interviews and a reporter at the end giving a sign-off. They quite simply want to be told, here's what you need to know right mm -hmm. now about this topic uh, so that they can get that information and they can be at a dinner party or, or wherever that might be at, at work and they feel informed. They feel like they've, 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 they know what's happening uh, with the Kurdish people in Turkey or wherever for that matter. We're also seeing that millennials have a far greater global perspective where traditional television audiences were hyper-local. Uh, they were interested in what's happening in Johannesburg or Gauteng or mm. South Africa. Uh, we are now seeing that millennials really do care about humanitarian relief efforts in Syria uh, or anywhere for that matter. And that's got a lot to do with the exposure. They've been surrounded by images of terrorism, of suffering all over their social media, Facebook timelines. And that's given them a sense of consciousness. Mm. And they've also got the ability to help nowadays. If you look at Facebook, you can donate to a hurricane that's taking place somewhere or a flood that's it's taking a lot more connected. Yeah. And then if you, if you pair that with drones and then the ability to send things to a destination, crazy, yeah. you now have a physical presence of somebody who's sitting at home, but is able to contribute to a society far away. So there's two really interesting things at play here. There is, getting the story across in the best possible way on mobile, and then also the journalism aspect of telling the story as authentically as possible and as unbiased as possible. And I wonder if people are going to get that. How many people are going to be able to marry technology and journalism and being authentic in a really beautiful way? Because traditionally, if you were a journalist, you had a cameraman who was doing everything for you. All you had to do was focus on the story. Now you've got to really focus on literally the nuts and bolts of how you tell the story. And how many people actually cracked up to do that? Aria, that's exactly why millennials are doing so well in the modern day newsroom. Because we want people that can tell us the story in one minute 30 for television, mm. that can give us a blog post for online, that can do a six second story for Vine, that can do a 30 second story for Instagram, that can come up with a dozen different ways to package that one story so it's relevant to different markets. It's probably the first time in journalistic history where you're finding young tech savvy people that are trumping experienced guys with the long contact book of political mm. uh, contacts that they've had and, and context about uh, political uh, stories, uh, quite simply because we need people that get it, that understand uh, how people want to digest content nowadays. Um, and that mainly involves them consuming a lot of content too. You need people that have got a wide breadth of, of stuff that they're watching and that they're listening to, uh, because that helps influence what they create. I mean, it sounds unbelievably sexy for whatever reason, this mobile journalism thing. But what I think, you know, one also has to bear in mind is that the stories that you're covering are super serious stories. We look at Fees Must Fall. We look at Zuma Must Fall. We look at protest action in SA. We look at, you know, all the different problems and how you're covering them. And there's still a hell of a lot of emotion that, you know, you must have exerted from you in covering these stories. Because, yeah, there's the technical side and the logical side of telling the story. But then there's also this emotive aspect that is so true for so many journalists and where are you at with that because uh, you you go into the middle of a protest action people are really upset about something and you're connected to it you're telling the story in a very intimate way because it's literally on your phone which is one of the most intimate extensions of who we are so the emotional connection you have with the story must even be further highlighted and, and amped up by the idea that it's on this very personal device absolutely i think when you shoot content with a cell phone you're far more intimate it's less imposing than a big traditional broadcast camera but let's take it one step further if we look at 360 videos which is a, a new platform that's being pushed around the world virtual reality 
reality is no longer a distant frontier. It's right with us right now. That is the most immersive form of storytelling we've ever experienced. Mm. Uh, I'll give you an example. Basically, we were at the hashtag Zuma must fall protests in Johannesburg. And basically, by capturing a video using a series of cameras on a 360 degree rig, you can have a video that people can view on a cell phone. And if you just move your cell phone around. Yeah, we'll uh, embed this on the page. You quite literally are standing on the ground. So where you're at a protest that just a thousand people attended, we've now had 40,000 people that are viewing. So if you just move your cell phone now up, up and down. Yeah. You're in it. You're able to immerse yourself in the experience. You're looking to the left. You're looking to the right. So now you're seeing an environment on a mobile where the journalist is no longer in the driving seat of what the audience can view. You are in control. You can, you can't say to us that we've edited something else out, that we're not showing you what's on the other side of the camera. You can see whatever you like. You're really quite simply there and, and, and you get to capture a historical moment like never before. How does that change the world, Yusuf? For the longest of time, uh, watching video hasn't changed at all. Sure, we've gone from black and white to color to HD to 4K and the quality's got better and better. But the actual essence of engaging with that content is exactly the same. We're looking at a 2D image here or maybe a 3D. This is a totally different experience. This is immersion. This is you are living the story. You're in the eyes and feet of somebody who's on the ground. And we're seeing applications of 360 video of virtual reality in all sorts of spheres, whether you look at real estate and to be able to show somebody a property without them leaving their home. Or how about a travel agent in Germany, but being able to take somebody to the Kruger National Park and mm. there's suddenly virtual reality immersed in that experience. Shopping, you, you can be in a shopping mall because some people don't like online shopping because they like the experience of actually walking through a mall. What if you can actually walk through a mall from the privacy of your own home? And let's take this a step further. Let's talk about aging populations now. And now you've got people that are going to live far longer than ever before. Imagine those years are not so pleasant in your, in your 90s, 100s, 110. Put these virtual reality headsets on and you can be anywhere you want. You could be surfing on a beach again. It's wild. It's crazy. Tell me about being the guy that, that goes into a room and has to explain this to people and convince them that this is the way to go. Because people fundamentally... Uh, although the internet has forced us to keep up with the times, a lot of people still fight change and fight innovation and fight progression. And how do you be the guy and what does it take to be the guy that walks in and says, no, this is the way we have to do it? Yeah, it's, it's a constant fight. Change is, is, it's terrifies people. Um, for executives and board directors, they see new technologies and they worry because they think, oh, well, what's going to be next? How long is this going to last before the next thing comes about? Um, for people in a news station who see mobiles being used to tell television stories, they think, oh, that means we're going to lose our jobs as cameramen, as video editors. It's about convincing people that you're going to create more storytellers, that in an environment where we currently have, say, a dozen journalists, you're suddenly going to have an opportunity where everybody in the company that has a cell phone can start telling stories. Mm. And that's when you enable and that's when you empower people because they feel like they're part of the storytelling process. Um, if you don't do that, you're only going to alienate yourself. You're only going to be seen to be um, fighting with technology. And technology, as you know, has always been resisted. Since the sewing machine came about, mm. tailors were on the streets protesting. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a common uh, battle. So you're trying to figure out what people want. Huh? This is kind of the uh, the gist of a lot of what you do is figuring out what people want, how they want to consume it, and what the, the most innovative way of getting people to consume something is. Absolutely. And to do that, it's increasingly becoming important to look at this buzzword, engagement. But yeah. We keep saying it again and again and again. But for the longest of time in journalism, we focused on editorial. What is your story about? What's the angle? Who, what, where, when, why, how? The traditional five W's and a H. 
But now we want to look at what conversations are you going to start? Because inevitably, if that piece of content online is going to make any money, it needs to have a long tail. It mm. needs to, we need to create a big archive of YouTube footage or whatever it may be. And people need to go to it today and they need to refer to it in a year's time and in 10 years time. And that will continue generating wealth. But in order to do that, you need to continue conversations. You need to, because you know how YouTube and Google algorithms work. They rely on how many people are talking about this particular topic. Mm. So how do we get people talking about your content? That's the conversation that we're having at the moment. And we're also seeing that people, especially on Facebook, Facebook is the new medium to be on. Everybody's on Facebook right now. It seems to be cannibalizing YouTube's market. People share what they represent. So we need to make content that is mimicking what people believe in. If they believe in um, that uh, refugees is a, is a big problem in, in the European capitals and that they need to do their part, they will share that story. So when we can tap into what people are passionate about, what they believe in, what they want to represent, because inevitably they're going to be posting this onto their timeline. Mm. So their news, their content is an indication of their interests and their passions. Tell me why we shouldn't be overwhelmed by all of this. You've alluded to it, but why should we not be overwhelmed by this constant rapid change? I don't think we have a choice. As yeah. millennials, we have to be in a constant state of flux. The most important skill that you can possess, you've heard it over and over again, especially here on Cliff Central, is the ability to acquire more skills. That's what's going to separate people apart. The average person will go through about seven jobs. So we right now are in the media field. Who says we will be in 10 years from now? Mm. You need to because it's survival. And if you are not doing this, any job that can be automated will be automated. So it is going to be up to the creatives, those that are constantly reinventing, those that are constantly rethinking that are going to survive. Yusuf, I got to tell you, you're the guy that people should have at a dinner table. You, I feel like you're that guy. Everyone should have you at a dinner table. I feel like you make a great dinner party. It's a very interesting conversation. Uh, and also because I can ask you questions like this because you've, you've covered so many different stories. You've immersed yourself in so many different realities, serious realities, lighter realities, but realities of the world. What for you has been the most riveting story you've ever told? It has to be uh, the Syrian uh, war. I was there um, about two and a half years ago. And you quite can't, I mean, my entire life, I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. I wanted to cover wars. And having been there and having had mortars land 200 meters away from me, you wouldn't want to be one centimeter closer to the violence. Um, you think that you can be smart, that you can outrun a bullet or you can, you know, I'll find cover. But most of the things in those environments that are going to kill you, these storms, these scud storms and these sort of uh, rockets, you'll never see them coming. Uh, you have so little control of your life. You come home with gray hairs. So I think Syria was definitely the indelible mark that was left on me. It must be because your whole voice changes. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, also, Durban to Damascus. In 2010, I hitchhiked up East Africa from Durban all the way to Syria, uh, up the whole coast of Africa. And I mean, that's not unknown for people to do it. I mean, we've seen people cycle across Africa, mm. but it was important for me because we keep hearing this narrative of this dark continent. And South Africa has done such a terrible job of isolating ourselves from the rest of the continent to many a degree. Uh, we don't regard ourselves as part of Africa. Mm. And to see that for myself was important because it got rid of all of the myths that I had about rebel-held areas. And to be honest, the most dangerous country I'd been to in Africa was South Africa. Wow. Um, I had no bad experiences. I was only welcomed and... Yeah. When we look at the world right now, we look at terrorism, we look at poverty, we look at education, we look at all the issues that are facing us. Having, you know, been to so many different places, been in war zones, been, uh, you know, in protest action and all of that, what do 
all human beings share in common that we don't want to admit to one another. And perhaps if we did, it would be easier for us to get along. I think that's a critical question because you have to look for those elements to keep your sanity in those environments. And it's the basics of love, of respect, and especially in protests, especially in war zones, those emotions are so much richer. Uh, if you are in Syria, for example, and you see a young couple courting, it just looks so much richer because it might be their last time doing that. Mm. Uh, and that's what's important when you're in these environments, to look for those ounces of humanity. If you're at a protest, look for somebody helping somebody out who's taking tear gas out of somebody's eyes. Uh, those are the uniting factors. Um, are you very conscious of the impact you want to make on the world? Do you set out every single day with a specific vision in mind? So I'm Yusuf Omar and this is the objective. This is my human experience is about achieving X, Y, and Z. Or is it for you, you just do what you do and that's just part of the DNA of who you are? I live this. I mean, yeah. some people on social media recently said that, that, that Yusuf just lives and we watch and it becomes television or it becomes news. And I think that is the most privileged position you can ever be in. To quite literally be able to live and then turn that into your work uh, is a privilege. But it's changing all the time. If you asked me a year ago, what do you want to be? I would have said, I want to be a foreign correspondent. I want to be out in the field. If you ask me today, I, I'll tell you I'm trying to drive new platforms. I'm trying to uh, create many more people that are doing crazy stuff. And I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow. Um, I think what is important is to ask yourself, why do you want to do what you want to do? So if I want to be a foreign correspondent, why? Are you trying to fulfill some inner desire because you want to be brave and show people how macho you are? Um, I'm sorry, that's the ENCA officers trying to get through to me. <laughs> a breaking story. So, yeah. breaking story this hour. We're in the middle of a series about road safety. But just to try and work out why you want to do, because then that will help influence exactly if you don't accomplish it, was it okay not to accomplish it? And if you do, mm. what next? Because the inevitable is you're never going to get to it. You, you say you want to be a foreign correspondent and then you do it and then there's something else. It's, it's, an, it's a bit like money. It's yeah. never enough. It's a constantly... Yeah, so you've got to kind of, it's more about the journey as opposed to totally. the final I think you say it better than avenue. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and your journey seems to be going incredibly well. I mean, we look at what you got planned for 2016. Uh, you incubating the ENCA boot camp. Uh, you found your 12 Mojo reporters. We were speaking about finding them a couple of months ago. Uh, that's going to kind of be you taking on a, another role, like a teaching role almost. Uh, and watching these people as they progress, almost like a dad would watch a kid get on a bicycle for the first time. That's going to be dope. Yeah, it's uh, it's so exciting. We've taken guys who are not from journalism backgrounds deliberately, and we are throwing them in, and we're not even bringing them into the newsroom, into the, the television newsroom. We're taking them downstairs to a separate place, and we're putting them in the middle of the developers and the archive guys and the online guys in that intersection because that's where we want them to play. We want them to be a little bit about coding, a little bit about graphics. They are the Instagram generation. They're doing that stuff already. Mm. We hired them not on virtue of how strong their stories were, but on how quickly they could share them. Um, and essentially, we're going to end up leaving them where they're from. So we've got a guy from Tembisa, and we're going to train him up and then throw him back into Tembisa and say, mm. don't come to the office, stay there, send us stuff. Like, we're going to be in all sorts of places that we never imagined. It's going to be very exciting. You're also going to be heading to uh, MojoCon. 
Paint me a picture of what MojoCon's about. Sure. So it's in Ireland. (laughs) It's the second mobile journalism conference. Um, The Irish really have led this mobile journalism frontier, especially following their recession. They didn't have much of a choice. They had to cut back on budgets. Again, the greatest stuff born out of, you know, recession and 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 difficult times. Exactly. Exactly. I'm excited. I'm excited to meet people from around the world who are, I mean, it's such early days of both 360 degree videos and of mobile journalism. And it's so much about these hacks, like trying to come up with a solution for the best way to do something. So it's going to be so good to share that information. And also, mobile journalism is still regarded as an inferior uh, platform, an inferior service mm. in many news stations. Um, so I would like to hear how other people are fighting change, how they, how they are coping with that, those transitions, because it's very much a cultural thing. It's not just about the technology. In fact, picking up on that, so, so Ireland, the mobile journalism movement sort of born out of recession and that. Uh, and a lot of the time, I was speaking to a friend of mine the other day who immigrated to Canada. And obviously, it's that whole conversation of South Africa versus another country. How's the country doing? And generally, South Africans that come back have a bit of a, oh, well, you've achieved this, but you haven't achieved that. What, what I find so exciting about being alive in South Africa, though, is that because there's so much shit going down, <laughs> there's so many problems, there's so many colossal truckloads of issues, I do feel like what comes out creatively and what can be born out of a society that's perhaps in a little bit of disarray is unbelievable stuff. And and that's what history has taught us. You know, when there's crisis in a country, the greatest art comes out of it. The greatest creative stuff comes out of it. Uh, I mean, you could be anywhere in the world right now. So, so what is it that's, you know, making you sit here in South Africa? You're right. I was born in the UK and I was raised in Australia and, and I choose to be here. And you're right. There is opportunity in chaos in yeah. South Africa. And that's and a, it can be inspiring as well. It can be inspiring and especially as a millennial, it's an interesting place to be because we are not limited by age uh, confines in the workplace here. To be honest with you, if I was in the United States or in the UK, we wouldn't get a fraction as much airtime as we do. They don't have young people telling the news. Mm. They're all gray-haired in their 50s and 60s. The sky and, news looks like an old-age home. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they, they've got this firm mentality that you've got to go through and, and, and you've got to go through the interning and be a, delivering coffee to people and you'll eventually write scripts and you'll eventually make it. Here, if you're good and you're talented, we're hungry for talented people. We don't have mm. enough on-air talents, uh, especially if you're a, if you're a male uh, anchor. We're desperately short of people. Um, so in that, there's so much opportunity here. You quite literally have to go out and grasp it. And, and it's also a lot more accessible. We, we don't have the hierarchies that exist in other countries. Um, a lot of our major news directors are easily available on Twitter and on Facebook. Mm. And you can tap into them so quickly. I mean, that's how I got a job at, at ETV, ENCA. I just started spamming uh, Patrick Conroy and the bosses with all of these uh, YouTube videos. Oh, watch me, watch me, watch me. And eventually... Uh, Patrick Conroy and Ben said called me in and they said if we hire you will you stop effing sending us these <laughs> videos and I haven't stopped I continue yeah. to send them stuff because that's how you're going to continue to yeah. progress through a company you've got to yeah. keep these relationships going uh, I was so happy for you when you won that Vodacom Journalist of the Year award Thanks, uh, last year because it, 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 you know, having met you and followed your stuff, you just bring such an energy to what you do and such a passion and such a drive. Is it important to be recognized? A lot of people say millennials, if we don't get recognition, we like, we, we, we can't deal with it. We have to be, get a pat on the back every five seconds. Uh, <laughs> what's your take on winning stuff? It's true. I mean, uh, for me, uh, what do they say? They say awards are like, uh, hemorrhoids. Eventually every bum gets one. It's, um, <laughs> I, uh, 
I was I was honored, and, and I think it shocked a lot of people in the room and and in my news station because it uh, normally these awards are reserved for somebody who's done the biggest story of the year, yeah, who's covered the Maricano or something. And it was one of the first times where they recognized somebody who was using technology and innovation and changing the platforms as opposed to the story. Um, it was important only because it gave prominence in the South African uh, media industry to actually this is something we need to be keeping an eye on, mm. that mobile journalism is a real thing. Um, and it's quickly growing and, and, and it has the opportunity to cut, cut, cut costs in your companies and also just to tell stories differently. Uh, so, yeah, recognition is 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 a big thing for millennials. Um, and I think that's why we share so much, don't we, on, on social mm. media? We, One recognition, we, yeah. We cry, we, we thrive we on likes. likes. Yeah. We love likes and we love views and shares. Story and- for another day in terms of the psychology of that, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, I gotta go to two questions from uh, another millennial on our list, Melanie Berlier, uh, from New York. Uh, her two questions that she wants to ask you on a scale of one to ten, how addicted to technology are you, Yusuf? Oh, definitely a 10. Straight out <laughs> uh, obsessed. And I mean, let me tell you how obsessed. I, I, I went to, earlier this year, I, I had the privilege of going for Umrah. Umrah is like the baby version of the Hajj pilgrimage okay. uh, that Muslims have to go on once in their lifetimes. It's like you don't go to heaven, you just go to the motel next door. It's, <laughs> it's a smaller version of the Hajj. Cool. And it was the first time I went to Mecca and your whole life Muslims prostrate towards this holy Kaaba, uh, the major mosque, the big cube that's in the centerpiece of Mecca. And you meant to live it through your heart and experience and, and you, you rid yourself of all worldly possessions. You, you don't wear any clothes during these loins, no underwear, wow. no shoes. You're totally humbled. You shave your hair off. You're leveled. You're as equal to the prime minister or president that's standing next to you. And yet I lived that entire experience through my cell phone. I watched everything through my lenses while people were uh, praying. I was editing videos when they were doing rituals. I was uploading stuff to Facebook. And that was when I realized that this is religious for me. It's an intangible part of my life. I can't separate myself from my journalism. If I wasn't filming, I would have been thinking about filming. Um, When we're walking around that mosque, my wife is doing her prayers and she's saying, what are you saying? And I'm I'm preparing my lines that I'm going to read on camera. Wow. Um, And for me, that's not a problem. That's how I engage with that. For me to engage with my religion or to engage with that space was to share it because it's especially important to me, especially at a time where Islamophobia is at a all-time high, mm. where Muslims are being called to distance themselves from ISIS and all these terror groups. Why not take selfies with this grand mosque? Why mm. not show a lighter, more pleasant side of Islam that people haven't seen? I, that's uh, yeah, picking up on what you're saying. I mean… We speak about the millennial generation, you know, every second Instagram post is you can do whatever you want. We didn't really have major issues facing us, no world wars. So we were kind of encouraged by our parents to go out and do whatever we could. A lot of people find that overwhelming. So we land up doing nothing. But there's something really magical about what you're saying that you found your thing in the world that to you feels like it has even sort of a religious aspect to it, that it's something that you believe so heavily in. That is a, that's a level of, just finding the right thing for you that's that's awesome because i was criticized about it i I had a lot of uh, fellow muslims on social media that said to me oh you're not experiencing it you're not living it you're still reporting you're you're, you know drop everything just be there with your maker with your lord and just live the moment that was living the moment for me wow Uh, i I couldn't uh, that's the 21st century that's crazy absolutely the my cell phone is is, was 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 a part of me and it was part of that story and i'm glad i could share it everyone bitches and moans about like people being on their phones and at lunch and everything like that but actually that's the greatest reply to that is that that's 
you living the moment. Yeah, they it's say when, digital detox. You yeah, need but to that's you living off. your moment. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Why you switch off? If yeah, it's, if it's uh, if you t- if if you if you you get pleasure out of it, if it's if it's a part of your life, uh, why then to, to to switch off it, to distance yourself from it is you'd be missing something, surely. That's beautiful. Uh, another question from uh, Melanie: If you were a bagel, what kind of bagel would you be, Yusuf Omar? If I was a bagel, I, I'm going high and I'm going smoked salmon and cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a dope bagel. That's a dope bagel, yeah. Um, Why? <laughs> relatively healthy, I suppose. Uh, high fat and protein diet. Um, yeah, that's an odd question. It is. It's a fantastic question, but an odd question. Well, Melanie's this a journalist that goes undercover and does, uh, she'll, you know, dress up uh, she'll go undercover as like a nanny or undercover as like a prostitute or a million and one different things and write for different she's written for vanity fair and a host of publications so she's her approach to journalism is to actually live it immersion and be the person yeah and you know write from that perspective that's cool uh, that's that's so, hunter s thompson that's that's in it that's that's you're a part of it. it's it's immersive journalism so uh, maybe she just wanted to know how you would treat it if you were a bagel because obviously you can't be a bagel unless you get like a giant bagel suit and maybe that's what she was referring to Listen, Yusuf, I'm so glad that we have you on this list. I think you're poised to have such a big 2016. And what's great is that if you have a big 2016, it has such a positive impact on other people because the nature of what you do is that it has a positive social impact, which is great. So if you have success, inadvertently, we get great content, we get great stories, we get great conversation and conversation that we need to be having in order to evolve and progress as a human race. It's very kind of you. I enjoy being here. And I I, I think that it's so important that we're seeing these collaborations happening. Um, that is the future of work. Increasingly, we're going to all be freelancing. We're all going to be working for ourselves in whatever space that might be. And we're going to be collaborating and sharing with everybody this idea that my information, what I know about mobile journalism is limited, is, is prehistoric. You have to share everything. Everything is open source these days. Nothing is sacrilegious. Nothing's precious. The more we share, the more we learn. Power. That's Yusuf Omar. Thank you so much. Kelman on cliffcentral.com.